0: I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is (laughs) Maybell! He's my sister and my daughter!
1: Rushback! What's in the box? Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Marissa Martinelli, an assistant editor here at Slate, and today we're spoiling Crazy Rich Asians, a romantic comedy based on the novel by Kevin Kwan, itself loosely based on Kwan's own childhood in Singapore. Directed by John M. Chu, Crazy Rich Asians marks the first major Hollywood movie since The Joy Luck Club, which came out in 1993, that is centered around the Asian-American experience. Here to talk with me about the film is Slate staff writer Ingu Kang. Hello, Ingu. Hi, Marissa. And making her spoiler special debut is Shasha Leonard, who writes Slate's IT column, Try Restarting. Welcome to the Slate Spoiler Special, Shasha. Hi, thank you for having me. We are here today to talk about Crazy Rich Asians. I have waited so long to say that. Ugh. How much hype has there been for this movie? So much hype. <laughs> so much hype, and it lived up to it, in my opinion. Just throwing it out there. What about you, Ingo Your review was a rave. You like this movie, too.
2: I love this movie, Um, but yes, The Hype Machine is really on steroids to mix metaphors.
1: Well, there was a lot of pressure on the movie, too, that Mm. comes with the hype in that, you know, much like we've seen with other movies starring minority casts, this had to be the movie as like a tester for Hollywood is it going to succeed or fail? And it's actually done really, really well. It had a great opening weekend at the box office. It's gotten hit reviews, um, and we are going to talk about all of that. Has anyone read the book Crazy Rich Asians? So I actually, read- sh- I have not. Okay, I've not either. Okay, I've read all three books. Wow. Okay, wait. How did
0: you come to find those books? Because I read that it was an easy, sleazy beach read, and I generally avoid those reads. Yeah.
2: So there's a blogger by the name of Lainey Gossip, who is actually Elaine Louie. She's a celebrity blogger who is actually very smart about sort of deconstructing celebrity narratives, and she does this sort of weird ad hoc book club And I think a lot of her recommendations are quite good. And because she's a Chinese Canadian uh, writer herself, she tends to um, provide a lot of recommendations that are books about women and people of color. So this this happened to be one of them. And I thought, you know, she's talked about this book 10 times. Why don't I just give it a try? And then there went all of my free time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's always hard when you have a book that this, is this popular to turn into a movie because you know you're going to anger the fans. Did you think it was they did a good job, Ingoo? I mean, we can go into detail a little bit more about the plot, but what did you think as a fan of the book? How did this compare?
2: Uh, I would say that in some ways the book, at least from an Asian American perspective, from my perspective, um, I thought the adaptation was really great because it really brought, the book is very encyclopedic and the book is very uh, into the fine-tuned details of Singaporean wealth on like a sociological basis. But I wouldn't necessarily say that the book is moving, and I think that the film uh, is moving. Um, in the Culture Gabfest for this week, I said that the uh, I said that the books um, have Singapore essentially or the Singaporean aristocracy as its main character. Um, Singapore is just the most interesting thing about those books. And in the movie, Rachel, our main character, um, the Asian American economics professor who goes to Singapore for the first time and encounters all of this and is our viewpoint character. She's the most interesting person in the movie. And I think that that translation or that adaptation was a really necessary process.
1: And she's played in the movie by Constance Wu, who I was only familiar with her from Fresh Off the Boat prior to this, but she is such a movie star. I mean, she has such a screen presence. Yeah, and she's an excellent actress. I know. This cast was amazing overall. I mean, we so we have Constance Wu as Rachel, who, like you said, Ingu is our main character, who is uh, Asian American. She is dating Nick Young, played by Henry Golding, who came out of nowhere. He's a television presenter this is his first real like acting gig um and is also extraordinarily handsome like it hurts to look at him for too long <laughs> uh we also have michelle yo as eleanor young nick's mother who is not entirely approving of his american girlfriend and also in the cast we have scene stealer aquafina that who- wig
0: that what? wig was everything. <laughs> the um, Ellen wig. I almost didn't recognize her for a second. And it then, I, tr- then tr- I heard tr- her talk and I was like, oh,
1: it's Aquafina. The accent gives Aquafina away. She's having such a big year. I mean, she had Oceans 8. Mm. She was a scene stealer in that too. Um good year for Aquafina. Yeah. And and tons of this is an amazing cast of like every prominent Asian American actor that they could fit into the movie. Uh and it if anything, it, it made me like so aware of how like seldom we see these actors all on screen at the same time. like a lot of these a lot of these actors have been the only Asian cast member on a particular show, yeah, yeah, or one of, you know, a couple.
0: And Hollywood likes to say, like, oh, we're happy to cast more Asian characters. It's just that there there is not a wealth of characters or actors to pick from. I think this movie completely defies that, you know,
1: yeah, exactly. Like, if you need a palette, here it is, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. so let's talk about. The movie. Let's start with the opening scene, which was not what I was expecting. Ingu, I think I I skimmed the first couple pages of the book, so it seems like it actually starts at the same place, but it actually starts in London, in the 1980s, um, with Michelle Yeoh and a young Nick, uh, making their trying to take up their reservation at this hotzy-totzy hotel, and being turned away by a racist, clerk. Yeah, maybe you'll have more luck in Chinatown. <laughs> Why a line? Dude, the whole
0: theater I was in, we were all just like, ooh. <laughs> My theater <laughs> was the same way. Gasp. Um, Actually, something wasn't clear. I haven't read the book, so I don't know. Um, Does she at that moment call her husband to buy the hotel, or is she already the owner of the hotel and the staff does not know that?
1: No, I think she, and she goes and buys it. It she buys it. She just buys it. Yes, which is more impressive if you think about it. No, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Cause then the the old decrepit owner comes downstairs and he's like, "Well, my reign as
2: owner of this hotel has ended right now," and he's jolly about it too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a well, really he good offer, got a
2: good deal. Yeah. I mean, the negotiation made in a couple of minutes.
1: Mm. That was a very satisfying scene for me, and it really set the tone for Michelle Yeoh in this movie as just like a boss. Yeah, the um, she's got like a
0: steel touch, but. With such grace and like class and elegance, where she's like, "You missed a spot over there. Clean it up," you know. Whew.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's known for <laughs> action movies. She's known for Hong Kong action movies. She's known for James Bond. I loved her on Star Trek Discovery, uh, but she's very authoritative whenever she's on screen in the best possible way.
0: Yeah, growing up, I think she and uh, Lucy Liu are the only female, like you know, in um, in Hollywood movies that mm-hmm. I that I grew up watching as role models and stuff like that. So it's interesting to see like this whole cast full of awesome ladies and men, which I would like to talk about the masculinity of these Asian men, (laughs) but later.
2: The
1: masculinity Uh, or their chest. The, the, well, hy- why not both Their
0: hypermasculinity, hyper masculinity <laughs> i that i think might have been the one thing that i didn't appreciate i know what they were trying to do they were trying to show that asian men can be sexy and of course they can i just don't think that asian men need to be swole to be sexy
1: mm. no i think that's a good point i mean at this uh, so we started off with nick as you know a little boy mm. uh, he grows up to oh my be... god what a cutie that actor was he really was a... yeah he grows up to be henry golding uh <laughs> <laughs> good job Good job to him. Uh, And he is dating Rachel Chu, who has no idea that he is actually from one of Singapore's wealthiest families. Uh,
2: I mean, we knew right going in
1: from the trailers. We knew and the movie (laughs) is called Crazy Rich Asians. Um, But I have to say that when he, you know, when he invites her to come with him to Singapore to go to the wedding, uh, you get that great scene where someone is walking by. A gossip blogger, basically. And we get to actually see physically with graphics the news travel all the way around the world. Mm. Um, and
0: what I really loved about those graphics is that they were WeChat. Oh, were they? Yeah. I think so, right? Ingo, did you pay did you pay attention? Like I think Shirley I Shirley pointed <laughs> out to
2: me. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Those uh it was delivered. I don't know if it maybe it was a copyright thing, but they look very similar to
2: Right. I did notice that for about half a second, Kevin Kwan, the author, is on screen Oh, in the WeChat or whatever um, the chatting network Spiderweb is. And in the credits, he's credited as texting author.
1: (laughs) Appropriate. (laughs) I love those kind of cameos. They're so cheesy, but I didn't even notice. I don't think I actually know what Kevin Kwan actually looks like, but uh, that's so fun uh so uh, one thing about that sequence i was under the impression that some time had passed because they they show so many people sending this message but sort of the joke is that when they cut back to the bar where they're sitting literally no time like the from the space of the gossip blogger walking by to getting to the door everyone in the entire world knows that nick young has a girlfriend and that he's bringing or a friend quote friend as they say throughout the movie um and that she is coming to the wedding.
2: Yes. And we should note that um, Nick is going to be the best man at this wedding. And the uh, couple that is going to get married, Araminta and Colin, are so wealthy that essentially the entire island is abuzz with anticipation for this wedding. It's basically the royal wedding, mm-hmm. except complete with paparazzi. Um and i think that's important to know because it's a 40 million dollar wedding and of course later the aunties are telling like that's too much you shouldn't spend more than 20 million on a wedding <laughs> which is everyone like knows a, that yeah which is the level of wealth that we're dealing with right now
1: so yes we know that this wedding is going to be enormous and very lavish rachel does not know rachel finds this out in the most hilarious possible way which is that they board the plane to go to Singapore and they're taken into this sort of suite. I don't know. I've I have i never not even know that was a thing. I've never flown first class, but I've walked through first class with the rest of the <laughs> plebs, just like you Yeah, know. but that's not a first class I've ever seen. It was like a cabin. There was a like a bed of some kind. Yeah. I mean it was closed off. It was a private suite on a plane. And then she's, then Rachel's like, "So your your family's rich, right?" And he's like, "Well, we're singing. comfortable, <laughs> nicest, like nicer than you know, most people. wearing silk PJs yes. provided by the airline." Uh, I love the sort of fantasy of this movie uh, that you get to kind of live in this world that is exclusive and that most of us don't get to experience i'm gonna catch a lot of heat for comparing these movies but a lot of the appeal of this movie aligned with what i love about the 50 shades movies although this was much more opulent uh just the wealth porn continuously throughout it was superb yeah it's almost like
0: looking into a different world but not a world so unlike your own that you can't believe
1: all of it except for the
0: barge except for the barge (laughs) that cannot be a thing (laughs)
1: I don't know. I thought that that was uh, not unbelievable to me. I love how, well, we'll get to the barge, but there is. No, sorry. I meant like it's all believable because it's not a world's, it's all. There's no dragons. No, exactly. It's all close
0: enough to our reality and like the things that we've seen on, you know, TV and media and paparazzi that I can believe that this kind of wealth exists. Mm -hmm. And I still like, I can't look away.
1: I'm disgusted, but I can't look away. (laughs) Were you? (laughs) I was like, um, what's her name? Peak Lynn and she's oh my invited gosh. to the party and she's like I couldn't possibly. I was like go for it girl. <laughs> she was like yeah I'm going. Um so she
2: so she lands in Singapore. They get to Singapore. And I guess like they have that rendezvous with um Colin and Araminta. Oh yeah, of course, the the food market. Um So essentially uh Nick and Rachel land in Singapore. And they are picked up at the airport by Colin and Araminta who you were sort of like expecting these like very grand people and they're just like very rumpled looking Asian people surprisingly, which will like come back later. Um, So anyway, they go to the, um, I believe it's like the famous street uh, food scene in um, Singapore's Chinatown actually. So then you get, like, this, like, vast montage of food porn.
1: Yeah, much like the wealth porn, the food porn was agonizing to watch. Yeah, and it comes back many <laughs> times during the film. Oh, yes, that's hardly the only
0: scene where there, is rumbling. And you're sitting there, and you're eating popcorn, like, crappy
1: popcorn, and you're like, please. <laughs> I will say that in my screening, I went to a screening with, I'd say, a majority Asian audience. Um, and it was a press screening, but it was also open to some of the public. and. The girl next to me had brought dumplings. Yes, and I was like, "This is not fair," because I had the visual <laughs> and the smell. Uh, it was. They should. I mean, they should serve real food at these screenings because the food on screen is unbelievable. I wonder if the Alamo would do something on it. Oh yeah, Alamo Draft House because mm-hmm. they serve fly food. Out.
0: Yeah, and they do specials sometimes, like they did for Deadpool and
1: uh, Isle of Dogs. Right, I think so. Yeah, yeah I am. not a bad idea.
2: Little Brooklyn aside, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes. Um, I feel very prophetic right now because a couple of years ago, um, I wrote a piece for MTV about uh, how actually the perfect movie theater food is dumplings. And uh, I feel like I really called it.
1: (laughs) I would agree as someone who had to sit there and smell them. I really wanted
0: dumplings. (laughs) Because they're small, they're portable.
1: They are. Yeah, you don't and have to use your hands. You can get a nice variety too. I mm-hmm. mean, every culture has sort of a version of the dumpling. Yep, pierogies. Bring them all in. Um, now I'm really hungry and I <laughs> forget where
2: we are. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm distracted.
2: So they go to the um street, the Chinatown um food market, street food market, mm-hmm. and then. So essentially, in um, the next scene, more or less, Rachel and Nick wake up together in their hotel room, which is significant because Eleanor had made it fairly clear that she expected her son to stay with her and for Rachel to stay in a hotel. So we already have this setup where um, Rachel and Eleanor are going to square off at some point.
0: Yes, because he's deliberately choosing his girlfriend over his mother's wishes, which is a big no no when you're a matriarch. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, and we also get a sense of with Rachel's impending arrival a family dynamic with all of the aunts. Um, they're all they're reading the Bible actually when they hear the news. Um, but when she finally comes, she's under a lot of scrutiny from the family, the aunts, and then of course Nick's grandmother who essentially raised him, uh, he grew up in her house, uh, who is sort of the one to impress. I mean, the, the mom's important, but the grandmother, it's implied, is sort of the make or break.
2: Yeah. And the reason for that is that uh, the grandmother is quite old. And it's a question of who is going to inherit the family inheritance and so, again, it's implied that if Nick's grandmother disapproves of his future wife, um, then she will disown him and the family of fortune will go elsewhere.
1: We should note, too, that she's actually Nick's father's mother. Um, Michelle Yeoh's character has married into this family, which is significant, not least because we never see Nick's father. He's always on a business trip. Yep. Um, Working. I thought that was going to lead to something like some kind of secret or a big plot twist, or he was going to show up at a pivotal moment, but he just never arrived. Did he have a, was he a character in the books, Ingu?
2: Yes, he was, but he occupies a very, very similar role in that the story is largely about um, Rachel Lockinghorns with Nick's mom and, it's, I mean, this is sort of getting into the weeds of it, but a lot of the uh, third book is sort of about how the pressures of Singaporeans, of Singaporean society, especially in their malu, is so... Um, It's so damaging, essentially, that a lot of the Singaporeans end up leaving in order to find a kind of inner peace. And so it's implied that Nick's father is one of these characters as well. Hmm. Part of
0: me wondered, I mean, there was a little um, uh, backlash for casting Henry Golding as the lead romantic interest. Mm -hmm. um, There sure was. Because he's half white. like me um and so that was very interesting because i get it but also will we ever fit in anywhere Uh, (laughs) um and i think honestly it comes down to like how you present and to me henry golding presents as asian like whereas keanu reeves for example who's of mixed race uh definitely passes as white so i think it's different i don't know you know
1: That's interesting. Well, because with the father being off screen, I mean, certainly it's it's implied that he's ethnically Chinese. Yes. But he's never actually physically on screen. I'm not sure why there was backlash. Maybe we could
0: talk about that for a bit. Are we not Asian? (laughs) (laughs) This might be a bigger question than one podcast can handle. Um man (laughs) sorry um that was just my feeling i get it like yeah i would love to see uh like a purely asian man be able to lead a film and i think we will get there and i think we are get like getting there this year um we're getting
2: there this week with searching
0: yes (laughs) perfect exactly um so i don't really understand what the problem was if he presents as you know chinese or singaporean uh I think it's enough that we are having this film um, with an entirely Asian cast uh, to to carry that. You know, he's not just mm-hmm. like the one token white dude.
1: Um, there were no token white people. There were
0: token white people. Were there Miss America? Oh, the Miss Miss uh, the Miss countries on the barge. They were just like props. Oh, so
1: good. I don't even know that I counted <laughs> them as tokenists. That's the token white person on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know that I even counted them as tokens as much as like glorified extras, right? But that's, it's
0: so pivotal because like that's usually the Asian role. Does that make sense? As sort of like a background character? Yeah. Yeah. We're usually like the throwaway characters. Um, and to see like white people being used that way was, it gave me a chill.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that it thrilled you in such a way. Yeah. There was no, which is a really good thing that they did not shoehorn in a white character because when they were initially developing this novel as a movie, There was talk that they would cast a white American actress as Rachel, which would have completely undermined (laughs) the message of the movie. Uh, Certainly, it's ending uh, because the whole movie is about the dynamic between an Asian woman and an Asian American woman. And yeah, (laughs) obviously, that would not have happened. I don't know
0: how that would have flown at all. Yeah. Um, Also, that would have been a completely different argument. Right, sense. because yeah.
1: Rachel sort of has, you know, she has this relationship with her mom, who is an immigrant and who's mm-hmm. Chinese. Um, and she sort of finds
2: the balance in the end. So uh, there are multiple other possible heirs to um, Nick's grandmother's fortune. So there's like a really cheesy. Uh, Hong Kong film financier who mm-hmm. is in love with this soap opera actress named Kitty Pong, who is hilarious and about as, um, you know, serious as her name suggests. Um, there is a, they're like a, Ronnie Ching? yes, Ronnie Chang power couple. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie Cheng, uh, I think, also happens to be like the only technically like Singaporean American person in the cast, um, and then there is Astrid, who is Nick's cousin, and basically the person in the large uh, clan that he that it's sort of like the only person that like they're really able to trust, and Nick. And Rachel are really able to trust, and she has married a quote unquote commoner, and so that marriage is sort of supposed to be this like mirror image of Nick and Rachel's relationship. But it's actually extremely unhappy uh, because her husband, the commoner, who is actually like a big tech startup guy, um, oh, and wants to be yeah. Yes, uh, he actually is full of resentment against her family's wealth. And so there's sort of like a cautionary of like how all of this could go wrong.
1: Astrid gets a really great introduction where we hear a voiceover about what she's like as a person. um, That she's kind of glamorous, but also warm hearted. And we see her go into a jewelry store and uh, she walks through and she stops to talk to a child.
2: a child
1: which is how we know she's warm-hearted this movie is not subtle about these things <laughs> in the best possible way uh and then she goes and she buys an inordinately expensive piece of jewelry 2 million 2 million was it 2 million for earrings um, i think it's 1.2 Oh, a, it was a discount. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right.
0: Because it's like he's like, well, if you wear them, that's like uh that's like a, a huge publicity thing for Right, me. he'll
1: sell it at cost <laughs> yeah. for the low, low price of apparently 1.2 billion. Uh regardless of the cost though, there is this funny scene where she or at least it seems funny on the surface scene where she gets home and Aww. she hands all of her bags. Well, over. first she asks, Is he home? Oh yeah, right, right, right. And when they're like he's home, she's like, You know what to do. <laughs> uh, The staff take all of her purchases and stash them all over the house, uh, culminating in her taking the earrings and putting them on top of her dresser, which we learn is, you know, it's not it's not like in the funny way of like, oh, women be shopping, (laughs) like got to hide it from my husband. He's deeply insecure about her wealth and the disparity between their backgrounds. Um, One other thing I actually liked about their scene And I liked about this movie in general is that it doesn't uh, it's not precious about expository dialogue. So, like, there's a scene where they're in bed and she's like, you're not a Navy captain anymore. And I was like, great. Established (laughs) background. Yes. I mean, even earlier when um, Rachel and Nick are in the bar and Nick's like, so, you know, it's my best friend's wedding coming up. I was like, out of the way. Love it. (laughs) Again, subtleties. Very very direct
0: dialogue. Yeah. Subtleties were not part of this film. (laughs)
1: Which I mean, so that's not what I'm looking for.
0: No, in a wrong come, not so. at all. And paired with the opulence, like it was just you know a big smack in the face.
1: And <laughs> <In laughs> a, a good mallet
0: way. of a movie, yes.
2: So one of my favorite scenes, um, actually, before they leave for Singapore, is between Rachel and her mom, who are Mm -hmm. shopping Mm -hmm. in some, like, cute little hipster boutique in, like, I don't know, the East Village or something, and um, Rachel clearly wanted help from her mom in finding a dress that would be appropriate to wear to meet Nick's family, and her mom says, wear a red dress because it symbolizes good fortune and fertility. And they sort of like make fun of this a little bit, but then she ends up wearing a red dress. And so I guess she's going to wear the same red dress that she uh, for when she goes to meet Peklin um, in the day and then intends to at night at Nick's grandmother's party. And we'll come back to the dress, but essentially they go to just this like, they go to Peeklyn's house, and Peeklyn lives with her uh, parents and her little sisters. Peeklyn is played by Aquafina. Her dad is played by Ken Jung. And they are both extremely, delightfully gaudy in a way that made me so happy. <laughs> I think partly because a lot of Asian American identity revolves a lot around uh, respectability, especially if we're talking about like the minority myth or whatever of like high achievement and um, our contributions to the economy or whatever. And you here, you just have these like Asians hanging out, doing their own thing, doing their own thing, being like as disgustingly. Tacky as they want to be, and just reveling in it, and I love it.
1: Ken Jeong has a great intro too, where he at first pretends that he doesn't speak English well. Oh
0: my god! And approaches
1: Rachel, and then he, he yeah laughs, and, and he's like, "I'm messing with you." Yeah, and, he and here like you Ken are, Jeong. like,
0: oh, here is that fake Asian accent, right? We are all like so scared of, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's
0: lying. <laughs> It was good. Uh and he also calls his daughter a uh the Asian Ellen, which got a lot of laughs in my theater. That wig is really something. That wig was out of this world. Peeklin and uh Rachel are reunited and they catch up for a bit and there's this scene where they're eating, I believe, lunch with her entire family and I think they ask what she is up to after, and she mentions that she's going to um a party At the Young's estate. And I think it dawns on their family that she's talking about the Young's. (laughs) (laughs) And it's at that moment where Rachel understands that she's basically dating Singaporean royalty. Um, To which the dress comes into play.
1: It simply will not do. It simply will not do. (laughs) This movie, in in true rom-com fashion, I mean, it hit a lot of the classic moments, but the makeovers were especially satisfying Mm. for me. Mm.
0: Um,
1: And the dress that Peeklyn puts her in is gorgeous. In fact, I like this makeover a lot more than the second one, which we'll get to later. Um, But so Peeklyn makes her over, and then Peeklyn offers to drive Rachel to the party because who would not want to?
2: So they're in Peekland's like bubblegum pink Audi, which was like already like a really great start to the scene. Mm-hmm. And then they head into uh, the woods, essentially like the tropical forest that like Singapore b- was before it got developed. And the GPS starts telling them turn around, turn around, turn around. There's nothing um, here. <laughs> yes. Which, like, I guess, like, the implication is that it's sort of like Dick Cheney's compound and that, like, they're so powerful, <laughs> they can, like, tell Google or whatever GPS company to, like, basically, like, drive people away from the young compound.
0: Yeah. So um, they think they're lost. And then suddenly two guards, uh, well, one guard appears in the window and there's kind of like a jump scare for babies like me. Um <laughs> <laughs>
1: right there with you. Uh,
0: and it's kind of comical and then
2: the second guard pops up and then like they let them through the gate and uh, you... I do think it's worth noting that the scene where the Sikh guards um, who are in these very white uniforms and red turbans um, they're sort of these like quasi-scary guards who come over and scare the scare Rachel and Peklin in the car. And it is actually, it was for me at least, like a slightly uncomfortable moment because the diversity of Singapore um, isn't quite here. Singapore is quite ethnically and religiously uh, diverse. Um, I think there are actually four official languages in Singapore. It's like Mandarin, English, Tamil, and Malay. And so we don't really get like a big display of the diversity of Singapore, which like, in my mind is sort of like, okay, because it's not really a movie about the like, it's called Singaporean crazy reasons. life app is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're looking at the 1% of Singapore. Right. No,
2: we're looking at like the 0. 0.11, percent. <laughs> <101%. laughs> but I do think that like, these are sort of the only dark skinned um, Singaporeans that we see in the film. And it was like a little disappointing to me that they are uh, essentially wordless and sort of like played for laughs. And that sort of made me uncomfortable. I think if, they, if there had been greater di- representation of darker skinned um, or non-Chinese Singaporeans in the rest of the movie, like that would have been okay. But... I felt like we could have done better in that scene. I don't know who we is, but we could have.
0: (laughs) Um, No, I I feel the same way. Um, Because I think this movie, so much hope was placed on this movie in terms of Asian representation, and uh, it was Eastern Asian representation. Um, I... I think we definitely could have we <laughs> it's true we do use we <laughs> I think we could have fit in more uh, diversity it's true um, at the same time I don't know if like this movie so, aimed to do so many things I don't know if that would have been one too many
2: yeah does that I make sense know that like there's an I think an Indian Singaporean character in the book who was like hmm. erased from Colin's bachelorette party. Bachelor party. Um, I think it's the, like little things here and there. There, I mean, I as much as I definitely celebrate this movie, I don't want to let moments like that um, go without. I, I, I without notice. I want to yeah. be yes, without notice.
0: When they pull up to the front yard, there's, like, plenty of guests. It's obviously a very, very fancy event. People are dressed to, you know, the nines. And um, you can tell that Rachel is really freaked out. <laughs> but uh, I believe her boyfriend is there to to pick her up, right? Like, to open the door for her? Mm-hmm. Mm. So she gets out of the car, and because he is a polite man, he leans in through the window and looks at Pecklin and is just like, do you... Want to come in? So I think this movie was so great because if you are Asian, I think there is a lot that is unexplained that is just kind of intrinsic to this movie. Like refusing the invitation out of politeness. She did it like three times, which is kind of like, at least in my family, the unwritten rule is like you you have to say no three times before you can accept. Um, and it's really funny because it's kind of fake, but also you kind of really want to say yes, but you still have to say no. And I don't know, there's something really amazing about seeing it done in such a funny way Mm -hmm. because it's very much not just comedy right yeah i think
2: that was like a good example of um in asian custom that like is observed and so you get that cultural authenticity Mm -hmm. of um aquafina's character sort of declining that invitation because it's essentially this (laughs) giant gift to her and maybe even to her family to have like you know, um, someone in her, like, extremely tacky, lovably tacky, nouveau riche family invited to, like, essentially the richest wasps um, of Singapore. So you have, like, the cultural authenticity of it, but on the other hand, you also have someone who is really subversive and full of pep, for lack of a better word, being able to turn that... Um, like, say no three times first Mm. into, like, this really hilarious um, moment. And so it's both very, like, respectful of tradition, but also, Mm. like, subverting tradition at the same time. And I think, like, that is essentially, like, the magic uh, formula for this movie. Mm -hmm. And that's just, like, this, like, tiny encapsulation of it.
0: Yeah, you put it really excellently. It's that it's the the perfect marriage of like comedy at the same time respecting like actual Asian customs.
1: <laughs> okay, so we should, should we mention that Pink Lynn has emergency outfits in the trunk of her car. Oh my gosh! With hilarious <laughs> cocktail. <on> them. Uh, <laughs> cocktail is the one that she winds up going with, but there's one for clubbing.
2: Yeah. And one for walk of shame. Yes. Which doesn't make sense because it's in the the trunk of her car, but maybe she just has like a drive of shame outfit, which like if I were her, God bless, she's in like pajamas for most of the movie. I would be too if I were that rich.
0: Yeah. And that's what I really loved is like she's in designer pajamas. You know, Mm -hmm. the money is there. The style is not quite, but her her styling of Rachel is always on point, which I thought was interesting.
1: I mean, I think it's I think she dresses like that deliberately. I don't think it's like style. <laughs> I think that's yeah just that's her, her signature style. look just the uh the much like the Asian Ellen <laughs> haircut. it's just how she is so good um Rachel is a mess R- Rachel's just
0: uncultured, culture nervous
1: wreck <laughs> Rachel is the heroine, she... in a romantic comedy. <laughs> She spills wine. She She tries to drink.
0: She tries to drink the
1: washing water. That's such a classic, like, I don't know how to be a rich person thing to do. Absolutely. (laughs) Although I will say I will say that I recently was served a bowl of mussels and like a little plate of water. And I was like, what do I do with a (laughs) plate of water? I don't know. It was for my hands, guys. I did not try to drink it, though, because I am not the heroine in a romantic comedy. (laughs) But I was instilled with panic. And so when I saw that scene, I was like, same girl. I don't know what to do. I think that is one of the
0: reasons Rachel is so endearing. And it shows why Nick may be attracted to her, because she's very different than what he grew up with. And... I mean, we've all been there. Like, yeah, we were cringing in the movie theater when she tries to drink the bowl of washing water. And, yeah, we definitely cringed when she spilled the wine all over his crisp shirt. Uh, But, like, we've all been there. We've all
1: done something a little faux pas-y. She's also incredibly smart. Yeah. I mean, our first introduction to her is she's teaching game theory in front of a lecture hall full of students. Mm -hmm. And she trounces the student who is in front of her using psychology and strategy So she's not just, you know, a nobody plucked off the street as much as Nick's family treats her that way. She's very smart. She's very accomplished. That just made me realize, like, I think this movie is about
0: choice Um, because you can be born into money and you can be a jerk like um, Astrid's husband who cheats on her. But ultimately, like, you get to choose if you're what, you know, like, Mm -hmm. just because you weren't born into it doesn't mean you can't be smart or, or cultured or you get to choose, even like the uh, Peak Lynn's family, like they get to choose how they present as rich. Like, they get to choose to not to be classy. Yeah. Um, And Nick gets to choose between Rachel and his family. And Rachel also gets to choose (laughs) not to let that happen.
2: (laughs) So among the things that we get from this party, we are also introduced to uh, poor cousin Oliver, played by Nico Santos from Superstore, who I... Adore, even though he has a terrible British accent. In this, it's um. really bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Wait, why did you say poor Oliver? Because, because he's literally he poor. Wait, is he? Relatively. Well, he's
1: not poor uh. by most people's standards, but it is suggested that he's a.
2: Yes, he actually, work for his money, unlike everyone else. Gotcha. <laughs> and he does favors for the aunties.
0: That yes. we did notice. Yes, when she's like, "Get rid of her to Kitty Pong." <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. All right, so. So at this party, Rachel makes a lot of faux pas. She mistakes Nick's old nanny for his grandmother, which is cringeworthy. She spills wine. She meets meets
2: Nick's mom. In the kitchen. They have a little verbal sparring match. Mm -hmm. And she meets Nick's grandmother, who it appears is a very nice lady and loves Rachel. Uh, Maybe.
1: (laughs) Maybe. Definitely friendlier. (laughs) I mean, in comparison, um and it's it's interesting cuz you have eleanor nicks mom sort of hovering on the edge of that encounter and you're kind of wondering you can't really place where nicks grandmother is going to be
0: yeah and i kind of feel like eleanor is panicking a little when she notices that ama likes rachel mm-hmm. um and i think a wee bit jealous because she's never had that kind of easy acceptance from um her mother-in-law
2: Yes, and we learn later on that Eleanor herself wasn't considered to be from the right family, and therefore was always considered to be the wrong woman to marry um, into the Nick into Nick's family or into the Young family, and that's one of the reasons why she thought she had to sort of sacrifice Nick to his grandmother so that like Nick would live with his. A grandmother in order to have a greater chance at inheriting the family wealth. Which, like, if you think about it is, like, quite devious, but in her mind she did it for her son's sake.
0: Yeah, which I think she says, right? Yeah, You have no idea what I've given up? Mm-hmm. Or something like
1: that? She's very And then dynasty dutiful. talk. Right, yes, yes. There was lots of dynasty talk. Uh, so, Rachel does have some Supporters among the upper class. One of them is Araminta, who, another classic rom com moment, asks Rachel to join her bachelorette party. Even though they've just met, this is a thing. This is like very like my best friend's wedding, asking someone you barely know to be involved in wedding festivities. I mean, her bachelorette party is huge, so it's not quite that intimate, but it's like a nice
2: moment of her supporting Rachel. So, Araminta's mother owns a chain of resorts. So basically, they just um, go crazy at one of the resorts, which happens to, which looks like it is like on a private island or something. The water is bluer than blue, and there's a masseuse for every single girl um, at the party. There's maybe about 10 of them. And so, When they arrive, Araminta says something along the lines of, like, this is about sisterhood, and we're really going to dive deep into, like, our relationships and our bonds with each other. And then, of course, there's a shopping spree.
1: (laughs) Um, And we should mention that among the bachelorette party is Amanda, who is, you can just tell she's got, like, a villainous aura. But she. Is I didn't kind of, think so. You didn't think so. No, we didn't see I was like, coming?
2: oh, a friend. They have they have common <laughs> I ground. Was also, yeah, I was like, oh, good, like a sane person, because it's revealed <laughs> that uh, Amanda is a lawyer for young for the young families, companies, or something, and so you think that there is this kind of. Um, analogy to Rachel in this world, someone who is really accomplished on her own Mm -hmm. and is really professional and very skeptical toward this kind of, like, uh, hyper-consumerism. Rachel and Amanda are the only two who, like, mostly set out the shopping spree, for instance.
1: Amanda, though, by her own admission, got the job because of nepotism. Which, I mean, maybe she's being self-deprecating, but... Yeah, but that's
0: that's what leads you to trust her is because she's she's hyper aware of this like hyper consumerism um, and that this lifestyle is probably ridiculous to someone like Rachel uh, because they both come from the same roots. You know, immediately she Mm. kind of like aligned
1: herself with Rachel. That's why I didn't trust her. Rom-com rules, baby. The (laughs) ex-girlfriend is always trouble. This ain't no Legally Blonde. okay. (laughs) Honestly, I no. thought there might have been
0: like a little queer moment there. like my heart skipped a beat, uh, <laughs> oh. where she puts the necklace around
1: Rachel's neck. Oh, there, yeah, there was a little bit of like a erotic oh. tension. Oh, yeah, I was. But I, it. I definitely took that as a sinister <laughs> moment. I was right, by the way. <laughs> you were. That's you the are. point.
2: Is <laughs> mm. um, you can never trust anyone who puts a gold necklace around. It the heroin like it's just always a sign and then says perfect
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so in the next scene amanda eats rachel just kidding sorry <laughs> <laughs> wait it's like marissa, marissa and i, and I just looked, looked at each other like so what did we see <laughs> so amazing we're, all of the women are having um massages massages in the same uh outdoor Area and Amanda sort of casually lets it drop that um, the young family and her family had always wanted her and Nick to get married because, of course, she's from the right um, stock family. (laughs) Yes, from the right stock. And uh, basically implies to Rachel that if she marries Nick, uh, her life will be nonstop suffering
0: (laughs) yeah trying to prove that she's worthy
2: and so um Rachel understandably gets upset leaves the massage area goes to her room and discovers a gutted fish on her bed Mm. and the words um I don't know something along the lines of like get out you gold digger Mm is written in blood on the window panes from the gutted fish. And um, by that time Astrid has arrived that also sees the gutted fish. And Astrid says, I'm, I'll call the police for you or security. And Rachel decides like, No, I don't want to make a scene. Like I want to fight back. I'm so I guess um Later that night, when it gets dark and all of the Bachelorette girls are just kind of like dancing around, um, Rachel and Astrid get to dig a hole to put the fish in.
0: Yeah, and I I think it was a really important scene because Rachel chooses to not make a scene Mm -hmm. about the fish. Can Um, I ask a silly
1: question? Why did they bury the fish instead of throwing it in the ocean?
0: Because digging holes builds... (laughs) creates bonds and camaraderie (laughs) that's what we learned from the the war this
1: this was no horse head in the bed they could have just thrown the fish into the ocean (laughs) anyway just pointing that out
0: it would have washed up back on the beach probably
1: it's a fish. It's a bachelorette
0: party. We cannot have dead fish on the beach.
1: Um, all right. All right. So it does create this opportunity for the two of them to bond and for Astrid to confess mm. that her husband is cheating on her, which she found out in the most horrible way by reading a text message.
0: The bed is lonely without you or Oof. something like that. Uh, cringe. Cringe.
1: Uh, all right. So that's what's going on with the women. Shasha, mm. how are the men spending their bachelorette party? So Bernard uh,
0: tells Nick that he has a crazy bachelor party planned for him uh, for Colin, and it gets it gets weird. Don't they get no? They get no helicopter.
1: They do, and they get, they into,
2: get a, into a fleet of helicopters.
0: Right, they get into a fleet of helicopters. Um, Bernard wants Colin to know that he did it all for Colin (laughs) and as he's saying this you see that they're flying into international waters so you know something is about to go down you don't just
1: see this it it's, like, in giant lettering on the screen, much like all of the locations <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. And most of them are, like, Singapore or, like, New <laughs> York, and this one is international water. Exactly.
2: Um, Can I at- just say, I also, you know from the very beginning that Bernard, like, there's something a little off about him, because he wears yellow sunglasses the entire time. <laughs> and there is just, like, no way not to look like a douche when you're wearing yellow sunglasses. Um, Noted. <laughs> yeah and he wears a I'm lot gonna of take
1: my yellow other... <laughs> sunglasses off sheepishly right now uh yeah
0: something about his fashion choices makes you understand that he's um the black sheep um and yeah you know, a little bit crazy
2: very frequently shirtless and not like the good kind of shirtless but like the bad kind of shirtless
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was so cryptic that i'm afraid to ask you mean because well he's not just shirtless he's got like an open
0: yeah like a blazer yeah like a smoking jacket velvet smoking jacket
1: well, he and could, could kick it they could definitely <laughs> oh, kick you know. it <laughs> they could have their own fashion line um <laughs> which i would definitely wear
0: um anyway so they're they're in this fleet of helicopters flying into international waters um and they look over at the horizon and there is a gigantic barge, like the kind of barge that's used to transport uh like what are they called, containers mm-hmm. um when people are moving overseas. Um and they land on this barge and it is essentially a gigantic man playground, uh complete with bazookas. Um Miss America, Miss Columbia is there, uh what else is there?
1: I was all not reading misses. the
0: sashes. <laughs> I was reading the sashes. I was like,
2: show me these women. Um, and there's a scene where all, all, of, all of the men that, like, we've met so far get together. And um, there's, like, another character who comes in and says something like, I can't – or sorry, Eddie is also there. Eddie is sort of like this, like, finance guy who's obviously a jerk because finance. And so – He tells Nick, I can't believe you're not getting more shit for wanting to marry Rachel Mm -hmm. when, like, my wife is, like, from the family fortune of, like, the biggest shipping company in Hong Kong. And I got shit. And people are just sort of letting you do whatever you want. And so they're both – and so, like, all of the men are kind of like, what is Rachel actually bringing to the table? Right. So – We get like a better sense of like how the opposition to the marriage um, from the Singaporean side between Nick and Rachel is not just about uh, Nick's moms and her like weird eccentricities or idiosyncrasies. It's actually like this whole society that just like doesn't really doesn't really understand why you would marry someone if they weren't bringing like a gajillion dollars to the table. And
1: later we find out this is not actually a superficial concern, even though it's largely coming from superficial characters, because Nick and Colin realize that this is not their scene and they have their own little getaway, sort of a bachelor party within a bachelor party. They land the helicopter on a rock. You know, they're very talented. (laughs) This is another reason I keep going back to Fifty Shades. This sort of like these bizarre parallels of like the hero who can fly a helicopter in hilarious circumstances. But, But they sit, the two of them... and and shirtless and have drinking a beer
2: shirtless (laughs) the The good good kind of
1: shirtless um and and colin gets real with nick and says you know that he's bringing someone into the family who may not be able to deal with the kind of unreasonable pressures that coming with being one of the youngs uh and we see nick sort of for the first time seriously grappling with what it would mean. Yeah, and they also talk about what Rachel wants. Mm-hmm. Rachel loves her
0: job at NYU. Um, She loves teaching. And the expectation is that Nick will take over for his, take over his family's company. And she would be expected, if they get married, to move to Singapore. And what would that look like for Rachel? What would she do?
1: And Angu, what is Nick's uh, reaction to this little conversation?
2: Isn't he mostly just like, Oh yeah, he's like he's no. like oh no. I didn't think of I that. Meant, I meant he When mean he proposes, <laughs>
1: oh shit! I didn't mean like sorry, that's on me. Was oh not no, clear. we both had the same reaction. I was like, herder, I don't know <laughs> abs, abs, pecs. <laughs> Look at my smile.
2: <laughs> uh, I, now that we're not objectifying poor Henry Golding. <laughs> <laughs> you should note here though that like um we know that Nick is serious about Rachel because he shows his buddy the diamond ring that he plans to propose with. And it's a very beautiful, but very generic, uh, ring that's studded with diamonds. And you're sort of like, Oh, like pretty, but also like, Oh, that's it. And like, that will play into this later.
1: (laughs) Josh's eyes just widened. Um, it was a nice ring. I thought so too. I, I mean, yeah, I, yes, for nice them, ring.
0: but for us, it was a nice ring. For them, it was probably like brass, you know. Like
1: I thought it, it was aligned with Rachel's. It was more her style than something that, yeah, gaudy one and one of the rest of the family uh, would
2: wear. So, um, after they get back from their debauchery, <laughs> um. Nick and Rachel return to his grandmother's house where they make a, where a lot of the family members get together. Um, Maybe there's around 10 people at the table and they talk about keeping traditions alive. And they symbolize this through the making of dumplings together. And we learn a little bit more about Nick and Astrid's childhoods. And how they were cared for by their mothers who had to uphold these um, really grandiloquent uh, households and yet at the same time provide like an extremely sheltered domestic life. And so Nick, for example, would get homemade dumplings made by his mother um, after school. So they're sitting around the table making these dumplings and Rachel asks Eleanor, um, how did she and her husband meet and where this giant um, emerald necklace that she's wearing come from. And so we learned that um, Eleanor and her husband met while they were in Cambridge. Eleanor was studying to be a lawyer and after she got married, she drops out and devotes her whole life to caring for her family.
1: And here we really see sort of the softer side, not the softer side even, but sort of the noble side of Eleanor. And it clicks, at least it clicked for me, why she is the way she is and why she's treating Rachel the way that she does. Not to say that it's acceptable, but it certainly humanized her and made it much more understanding, especially since we see Ama is not super nice to her.
0: Yeah, this this scene you really see Rachel trying to ingratiate herself with Eleanor. Um she is trying to pay her a compliment and instead Eleanor's like you have no idea what this ring cost <laughs> no. me. Uh well because her husband made the ring um expressly for her because Ama would not give her would not give her son the family ring because oh, she right. did not approve of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also see this vicious cycle between Eleanor and Rachel, where just because Eleanor suffered, I think in some ways she is making Rachel suffer a little bit too.
2: Which honestly, <laughs> um, I don't know about anyone else's background, but that I is know just exactly like what you're about to say. Every single Korean soap opera storyline ever. It
0: is so true. It is. It's like <laughs> it's it's the basis of like the matriarchal like state of families is like if you do not have your mother-in-law's approval you will never make it
2: (laughs) there was one thing about the um dumpling scene i also wanted to mention oh so one of the um biggest themes of the movie is about how rachel wants to pursue happiness and her passions and eleanor is very skeptical of this and essentially says something along the lines of like those are really fleeting. What we are trying to do here is build something that lasts. And so there's a scene where, um, there's a famous scene, I guess now by this point where uh, Rachel heads toward the bathroom and is ascending a staircase and Eleanor walks after her and stops her at the staircase landing. And then, more or less puts Rachel down in, like, a very, like, unsubtle way where Rachel has to, like, go back down the stairs a little bit so that she is looking up at Eleanor. And Eleanor says, you will never be enough. Um, (laughs) Devastating. (laughs) At which point... At which point we know that this rom-com stakes are not really about Rachel and Nick getting together because Nick is head over heels in love with Rachel. The stakes of this romantic comedy is Rachel proving herself worthy to Eleanor. So Eleanor
0: tells her that she'll never be enough. And Rachel, because she's our hero, um, bounces back and is like, I'm not going to go down like that. And... um, What's his name? Oliver. Oliver and Peeklyn make her hot.
1: <laughs> such a good makeover <laughs> montage, but such
2: an unsatisfying result. At least I felt that way. I think, Ingo, you felt the same way, right? I really hate that blue dress that you're seeing in all of the advertisements. I quite liked it. It's very Cinderella.
0: I thought it was very in line with exactly what she was trying to do, which was to look like she fit into that world. Mm because the dress from before was casual enough i mean it was an expensive the red dress. dress uh yeah like the stripy one it was expensive uh-huh. but also like casual enough for like you could see someone walk down the street in that and then you'd be like that's a nice dress this was like an opulent dress you could only ever wear to a wedding uh of singaporean royalty um and what
1: a wedding it and made. what a <laughs> wedding it was
0: uh oh my god i was with a friend who said and we can get to this later but I was with a friend who said, you know, you're rich when your wedding dress gets wet on purpose.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: So much. Yeah. <laughs> that wedding was really incredible. That was an amazing set piece.
0: It was like the the mix of like jungle, like with the the birds of paradise everywhere and how the guests all, were all holding um, pieces of like branches with LED lights in them to mm-hmm. make them kind of like bugs or lightning bugs. Uh, it was super magical and then the water just like flows up the
1: bride literally walking on water
0: <laughs> literally she's not even wearing shoes no because she's so she's a ballerina in real life i believe
1: oh really and I you really that.
0: see that come out in in the way that she walks down that aisle with her foot first um no shoe wearing like some like gorgeous like silky stocking mm-hmm. she, covered she in glitter has glitter all over her yes legs. definitely glitter lots of glitter um but the most important part is like who cares about what's happening in the marriage? It's that Rachel and Nick cannot keep their eyes off of each other.
1: Well, Rachel has asserted herself not just by looking hot, but she also makes a very important seating decision.
0: Next to the princess.
1: Yes. She's not welcome to sit with Nick's family. And so she brushes that off mm-hmm. and she goes and sits next to the princess. And she's read an article that she wrote. I wasn't super clear on. About micro, um,
0: micro, micro micro loans, micro loans.
1: Right. And they start talking and mm-hmm. it sort of catches everyone's notice, including Nick's family. Well, because this
0: princess has reserved an entire row for herself mm-hmm. because she does not want to talk to anybody. So at first, when you see Rachel walk up to her, you're like, don't do it. Don't do it.
1: <laughs> but then
0: it turns out <laughs> really well. the water all over again. Don't drink the water. And don't drink <laughs> the water. Don't spill the wine. And you, they're actually sitting in front of uh, Nick's family at that point. And you just see the look on Eleanor's face like... <sighs> The outrage.
1: And then on Nick's face, when he realizes pride, that she, so much can, pride.
0: she can hold her own.
1: Mm.
0: That was such a good scene. And then they just can't take their eyes off each other. The bride is walking down the aisle. And all that matters is that Nick and Rachel are looking into each other's eyes. And they're like mouthing, I love you.
2: <laughs> so they have the reception at the Gardens by the Bay, which is basically Singapore's most famous um, landmark sightseeing landmark, where you have these, like, beautiful lit, um, I think they're called, like, super plants or something. Um, but anyway, they have this, like, very extravagant reception, and it seems to be a really great time, and she gets, and Rachel gets called over by Eleanor and Nick's grandmother, and she isn't really sure what this is all about, but essentially, Rachel and Nick go over, and, she essentially gets ambushed at this wedding because Eleanor has hired a private investigator to look into Rachel's past and discovers that Rachel has quote unquote lied about her family background. So up until this point, Rachel believes that her father died before, uh, she was born, and now she discovers that her father actually is alive, lives in China, and her mother had lied to her about her her origins. And so Rachel is devastated by, um, of course, Eleanor doing this, and by Nick's grandmother also deciding that Rachel is not good enough to join the family.
1: And by the knowledge that her father is alive also. Which,
2: and, that, yeah. and that her
1: mother lied to her. As right.
2: Well. Uh, so she runs away from the wedding. And this is like, I think, maybe the only time in the movie where you get a sense of how revolting all of this wealth can look um, to someone who is just trying to escape it all. Mm.
0: Yeah, you're talking about the montage scene where... It, they actually shot it in a way that I think is e- expressly meant to be um, grotesque.
2: Right. As she's
1: running away, yeah, it's yeah. like very Fellini
0: esque. Yeah. Uh, I think um, Araminta at one point is like screaming while eating cake, like cackling like a like a witch. Uh, like it's shot uh, with the camera on her body, so you have everything like from her perspective, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's kind of like done like a drunk mo- like sequence in some some shows.
2: Yeah, it's like a weird, like, slow-mo that mm-hmm. really highlights um, the excesses of 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 all of this wealth, of which obviously the private investigation is one of them. Real quick, before
0: we end this, we need to do Astrid justice. Yes. Um, I don't remember what makes Astrid, like, break at that point, but... It's
2: because uh, Michael was planning on missing his son's birthday party.
0: Oh, good one. Yes. And... At one point, Astrid brings up their son's birthday party, which Michael, Michael says he's just not going to be able to make it because he has a business trip or whatever, or he's going to go see his girlfriend, something like that. And Astrid puts her foot down uh, and tells him that she's not leaving. He's going to leave. Right. It's her apartment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's her wealth. And she's going to do whatever she damn pleases with it. Um, And that she doesn't want to have to hide anymore. The fact that, like, she comes from money. Uh, and that because she doesn't want to threaten his manhood anymore. Um, and she delivers a very, very cutting monologue about how she can't make him a man because she can't. Ooh. Yeah, it's just so bad. <laughs> she can't make him the man that he's
1: not. Um, and then crucially, she retrieves the earrings oh, that have been sitting all 1.2 million a steel on top of her bureau. And it's such a powerful moment.
2: And because p- the story behind the earrings is that there was a uh, female royal who had essentially self-coronated herself, and that was, like, the earrings that she wore at the ceremony.
0: Oh, that's a great little tidbit. Did the guy, did the jeweler mention that in the very beginning? Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: I saw the movie twice. This is how I know everything. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think I would have oh, caught it either. I
0: need to see it again. But, yeah, that's essentially it for Astrid, right?
2: Yep. So basically Rachel runs off to Peeklin's house and Peeklin is trying to comfort her and just sort of leaves her alone, which is what Rachel wants.
1: Her family pitches in too, which is very sweet.
2: Yes. I can't believe we haven't mentioned the creepy brother,
0: but
1: now is as good a time as any. Peeklin's brother is super creepy. (laughs) What's his name? (laughs) He's just creepy. I don't don't know. Um, I was hyper-focused on his creepiness. Uh, What a great family. But it was also, I think this was an important moment for them as a family because they are so tacky and over the top and obsessed with matching the wealth of the old money. And yet when Rachel is in need, they are all there for her, creepy brother included, (laughs) Uh, which is, which is nice. And it's a, it's a really sweet moment where the whole family has her back.
2: Yes, and so Peeklin comes in at some point while Rachel has been in bed for three days or something um, and says, there's someone here to see you, and Rachel says, I don't want to see Nick. And then, surprise, it's actually her mother. And so they have this really gorgeous heart-to-heart about Rachel's past and why her mother lied. And so what we learn is that... um, Essentially, Rachel's father was physically abusive, and Rachel's mom had an affair with a different man, got pregnant by that other man, and then ran away to America because she was afraid that her husband would kill her. And so she never contacted the other man again because she feared that any sort of contact might lead her husband back to her. And so you have this sort of like island of two, um, which I found like surprisingly moving, actually. And that whole scene between Rachel and her mom is also very moving. Um, But it is sort of like exactly the nourishing care that Rachel needs to stand up once more to Eleanor. And so the next time that we see her, uh, we see... Eleanor walking very deliberately into this Mahjong parlor, which seems a little bit like beneath her. She's in this like very crisp white striped suit. I think it was Chanel actually. (laughs) The power suit. I believe it. (laughs) What else would Eleanor wear? Exactly.
1: It's not yellow sunglasses, that's for sure.
2: (laughs) And so she sits down at a Mahjong table And there is Rachel across from her.
0: Yes, and she sits down in the east seat, which means she's the dealer. Damn, Shasha. (laughs) Um, This scene is amazing.
1: Okay, so I've played Mahjong once, Mm. but I did not know what I was doing. And someone was helping me. And so this scene, to me, I did not necessarily know what was going on. But it was so choreographed and the psychology was so clear Mm. that I felt you didn't need to know the rules of Mahjong to understand exactly what was going on it was a battle of wits being played both verbally and with the tiles
0: so I I think the thing that people didn't realize is like she does not win this game
1: I noticed that Okay, I thought that was clear that's what I'm saying oh
0: because when she puts down her her tiles it kind of seems like she won and she did win (laughs) she? she won the argument she won the argument oh sorry um Rachel when at the very end where you know like they're doing that quick montage where the tiles are moving they're mixing and then she just like puts down her tiles um it seems like she wins the game but she deliberately loses she deliberately gives up her hand which is exactly what she's doing in the scene when she sits down with Eleanor and Eleanor and her have this conversation about um Again, the differences between American Chinese and Chinese or yeah, Chinese culture, I think Uh, the difference between building something long lasting like a dynasty as opposed to pursuing your passion and the freedom to to dream. Um, And at that point, Rachel drops the bomb that. Nick has already proposed to her um, and Eleanor is completely shocked. You can tell like it kind of throws her off. Um, And she seems bracing for Rachel to gloat. Exactly. Um, But instead, Rachel tells her that she said no, because in any case, I believe in any case, both of them would. It was a lose lose situation where she could have Nick, but then Nick wouldn't have his family Mm -hmm. um, or she would lose Nick to his family and then she wouldn't have Nick anymore. Um, And the, the worst choice was Nick not having his family.
1: She said to Eleanor, "As as they're by the way, they're playing mahjong this whole time without they're just glancing at the tiles mm. and having this in depth conversation with these other two women who are old and I guess can't hear them, which is very convenient. But Rachel tells Eleanor that she has turned down Nick, and that when Nick does eventually marry, mm, that's what it is someone who Eleanor considers worthy. Eleanor should." Keep in mind that as she's playing with her grandchildren, that it's only possible because someone low, like Rachel, low a class commoner, immigrant, made it happen.
0: Yeah. And at that point, she th- shows her hand. So during the game, what happens is Eleanor shows her play. And what she's trying to do is match tiles. And Rachel sees that. And I think that's at the point where Eleanor is telling her about, like, building something long lasting. Um, and so in in some ways, Eleanor is showing her. Her hand and how she's going to win. Um, and Rachel, who is, you know, a proficient gambler herself, I think, because of the very beginning of the movie game theory, game theory, Time for some game theory. Exactly. She sees the kind of play that Eleanor is trying to make and starts to collect her own tiles. And at one point she gets the tile that she knows that Eleanor needs to win. Um, But she could also win with that tile. And she decidedly takes that tile, which is funny. It's the eight of bamboos. And eight is a very lucky number. And I don't know if they did that on purpose. Uh, She takes that tile and she discards it. And in Mahjong, that means that Eleanor could pick it up and complete her hand, basically. Um, And that's exactly what happens. Eleanor does not realize that Rachel knows that she just gave up the one tile that would allow Eleanor to win. Um, And so she triumphantly shows her hand, Eleanor shows her hand um, being like, you know, I won. Take it. And uh,
1: <laughs> in her power, suit. <laughs> in her power suit, just like
0: with that smug look on her face. And it's at that point where Rachel makes that uh, says that delivers that monologue about how, you know, in 20 years from now, when Nick is married to the right person and you're playing with your grandchildren in your fancy fucking mansion, just remember that it was all thanks to me. And she shows her hand, which shows that with that tile, she would have won, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. She decidedly chose not to win. Um, and then I
2: think just as meaningfully, Rachel um, exits the table and essentially walks over to her mom, who had <gasps> been there the whole time. And the two of them walk out. And then the mom, Rachel's mom, very meaningfully looks at Eleanor. And it is just a look of extreme death. Uh, all right. So this takes us to
1: the classic, like. Not even oh. rush to the airport, rush onto the airplane as Rachel and her mother are getting ready to go back to the U.S. And this Nick scene bursts onto the plane. And I know he's super wealthy, but I just, these, this is like a classic rom com moment where you're like, in real life, this could never happen. No. Because of heavy security. Um, first class or not. Do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's he chases uh, Rachel onto this plane and he is hilariously dodging and weaving these tourists and various others who are trying to get their baggage put away and find their seats. Um, and it's
2: so like very much a inverse of that airplane scene that we start the movie with Absolutely, where they're in like first class. And this time instead of Rachel meeting nick where he is it's nick meeting rachel where she is because she has a line at the beginning of the movie about being coach people and so as she's trying to get to her seat with her mom nick runs over and is like very um chivalrously helping various people put their (laughs) luggage up into the luggage space but also like
0: stepping over people
2: He's trying his best. He is. He is. This
1: this scene made me cringe. It's like, okay, Nick is not important. The real story here is about the women, but anyway. The re, yeah, the relation that's the question. Like, is this movie about the relationship between Rachel and Eleanor? Or is it about Rachel and Nick? I think it can be both. Um I love though. this proposal. If only because, yes, it's very funny that he's, you know, helping people with their luggage as he's clearly building to propose and everyone is oblivious. But I also really love that When he finally does propose, and we'll talk about the actual mechanism of the proposal, the (laughs) other passengers are like, yes, girl! (laughs) Especially the woman right behind. (laughs) So good. And Rachel's (gasps) mom is there. Yeah. Um, But when he does propose, he opens the box, and what does the ring look like? It's the emerald ring. From his mom. (laughs) (laughs) Which means the whole family is behind their marriage at this point. With the implication being that Eleanor is the reason. That the whole family... Rachel designed. forced her hand. Right. She had no other choice. Rachel
0: literally said, like, just remember that he'll resent you for this. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Walk away, drop
1: the mic. Um, what a great ending.
0: I, I thought the ending was a bit messy, where they, they said that, let's not go home right now. Let's go back to this gigantic party that's being thrown for us so we can reunite everybody and, like, see the whole cast one
1: last time. Well, that's because we need a sequel. Right. <laughs> um, that party wrapped things up, everyone in one place. It also led us to the most important <gasps> mid-credits scene of all time. Ingu, what happens during the credits? I should say, <laughs> by the way, I had a train to catch, so I left my screening as soon as the credits started to roll. And as I left the theater, I heard every woman Gasp. in the room scream. And I was like, what is, what is going
2: on right now? <laughs> Uh, why was everyone screaming at you? So we are at this party, this, like, essentially, like, an engagement party thrown for Nick and Rachel. Um, everybody is there. It's on top of the Marina Bay Sands, which, if you know what that is, it's, like, basically the most famous building in all of Singapore. And they're, like, on the roof of it. And... Um, I guess we forgot to mention this, but like midway through the movie, we essentially see Astrid's husband, Michael, leave her. Um, And so we, we see Astrid, and then we see her looking at a man who looks at her. He is played by Harry Shum Jr., which for a lot of, I guess, which for a lot of Asian-Americans, I don't know. He's sort of just like the hunk. He's our Prince Harry. <laughs> <laughs> he's our Prince Harry. And so there's no dialogue. All you see is just the two of them looking at each other, which is obviously the uh, sequel for Crazy Rich Asians 2.
1: And what a setup. Also, he's built. Harry Shum Jr. is built really high in the cast considering he's literally in the movie for what 10 seconds 5 seconds, five seconds. Yeah. just 5 it speaks to a level of movie stardom that bodes well for Crazy Rich Girlfriend which I assume will be the sequel Shasha, Ingu uh, will I see both of you back here for what I hope will be the inevitable sequel China Rich Girlfriend absolutely yeah Ingu you in
2: sure why not <laughs> Um. Thank you. Both. I'm only a little hesitant because, um, at least in the books, it's all about kitty pong, and I feel like kitty oh, pong is a <laughs> spice that you put in small amounts and not like eat as the main course. So I'm very curious where it's going to go. But I'm here for Rachel.
0: Yes, and Astrid. And Astrid. Can't
1: wait to see her with our Prince Harry. <laughs> uh. Well, thank you both for spoiling Crazy Rich Asians with me, and thank you for listening please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. For Shasha and Ingu, I'm Marissa Martinelli. Our producer is Danielle Hewitt. Thanks for listening.